and welcome to Crypto Facto with Josh Clayman. I'm your host, Josh, from the global law firm Linklaters. On this podcast, you'll hear hot takes from me and sometimes from special guests on some of the hottest topics affecting the digital assets and tech spaces. Of course, these are our personal views only, and nothing said here constitutes legal advice, investment advice, or any other kind of advice, but we still think it's interesting. So hold on tight and let's get to it. Wow, so much has happened over the past couple of weeks and even the past couple of days. One of the things that's been on my mind lately is disruptive technologies and the realization that disruptive technologies disrupt each other and not just the status quo. Today, we're super excited to have our very first guest on the podcast, Angela Dalton of Signum Growth. Angie is a pioneer in all emerging tech like crypto and AI, and the intersection of that with video gaming and entertainment. Angie's a dear friend, and we work together on a number of regulatory matters. In that regard, we often refer to each other as our partners in compliance. Angie, welcome. Thank you, Josh. It's so good to be here. Like I said, we're thrilled to have you. Would you like to give our audience a little bit of information about you and your background? Sure. So I have a very traditional background in finance uh, and investment banking specifically uh, within investment banking, equities, uh, research sales and trading, uh, always in technology. So I started in 1999 out of University of Chicago and uh, focused on semiconductors. And then I, I say I moved up the stack and did, you know, software, hardware, media, telecom. Uh, in 2003, I uh, went to my first video game uh, show at it was called E3. They've they've no longer uh, they've gotten rid of the E3 conference now. It's now GDC. But regardless, um, it really. Um, piqued my interest in video games. And so since then, I've been um, kind of the video game expert within the media group at various places. And then um, in uh, 2010, I co-founded the Everport equities business and um, built out the tech media telecom side of that business uh, with my partner, Charles Myers, and uh, a few other partners. And we built that business to 87 people across research, sales, and trading. And um, and then I went to Guggenheim. And then at Guggenheim, uh, I really leaned into emerging technologies uh, like uh, Bitcoin, crypto, AI. Um, and within video games, I was the first kind of traditional analyst to cover esports. So back in 2015, uh, you know, I was I, I was kind of viewed as out on a out on a, a limb in terms of gaming because esports was just kind of coming of age, and uh, actually, most people in the traditional world thought it was just a rumor out of Asia, <laughs> but it was actually something real that was happening. And um, and so, while I was at Guggenheim, I after getting really excited about just the elegance of Bitcoin and um, cryptographic technologies, I thought, you know, this could be used in video games. I was walking down Fifth Avenue and I saw a billboard. It was a top shop billboard of a woman wearing an outfit that I had just seen in Fortnite. Oh, wow. <laughs> and 
And I thought to myself, it was just one of those aha moments where I thought, wait a minute, I want to bring my Gucci bag with me from the holiday party to the Mario party in the same way that this woman on the billboard wants to wear this outfit. And at the time, you know, people were already buying, selling, you know, skins and, 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 but it was all about self-expression. So I met the gentleman who finalized the ERC 721 standard for uh, who basically the lead author for NFTs. And that just solidified this idea that as we spend more and more time in the quote metaverse, and it was Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic Games, who in his discussion of Snow Crash had planted this idea in my head back in, I think, 2016, that, that this was going to be a reality. I thought, wait a minute, the more time we spend in these digital spaces, the more time we spend online, and the more we engage in online economies, the more we will care about property rights. And this technology, uh, which is, you know, cryptographically, you know, cryptographic uh, technology, this, this um, I guess, cryptographic hashes on a blockchain, it's the best way to say it, uh, is, is uh, uniquely suited to solve that problem. So it's so interesting the way you frame it, because so often we hear that video gamers and video game companies are skeptical of crypto, or at least they were. Can you explain that a little bit for our audience? And, and do you see it changing? Sure. So I'll have to go back many years, uh, decades. Uh, players of video games have traditionally been very skeptical of anything that interrupts their fun. And especially if it's a money grab. And we know the concept in crypto of money grabs and rug pulls, but that concept has existed in traditional advertising and in, you know, many uh, other kind of traditional non-crypto money grabs and games for a long time. And so gamers are generally skeptical of, of any of that sort of activity in their games. So when NFTs came, came along, um, there was this, there was this kind of PTSD. Oh my goodness. This is just like all those advertisers that wanted to get into our game. So, you know, back in, uh, you know, when I was, I was saying, you know, the early two thousands, when we started thinking about the idea of people leaving the living room, you know, there was, there, there's still, uh, an enormous amount of money that is spent on TV advertising. So year in, year out, uh, year in, year out, there are, um, oh, so you, you know, mean like literally leaving the living room? Yeah, leaving okay. the living room. So $150 billion is spent uh, globally on TV advertising by brands uh, still. And surprisingly, that number has not uh, gone down as much as you might think, even though people have left the living room. And so it's so then you follow that thread. Where are they going? Okay, they're playing video games, they're doing other things, they're on, on social media. But back in the you know early 2000s, mid 2000s, when I started thinking about this, I started thinking, well, surely brands will follow that behavior, but they couldn't get in. Gamers did not want advertising in their fun. So, and so, yeah, so it didn't. And so that's why I thought, wait a second, NFTs provide a way almost as if they are a skin themselves. They provide a way for a brand to be embodied in a very authentic way, authentic fun way that could unlock experiences that could tap 
tap into a lot of the gamification that we that we see actually works in gaming, and 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 they could actually get in to gaming in uh, for the first time in a way that is actually part of the authenticity and part of the fun. And I've heard, I don't know uh, what you think about this, but I've heard just generally that the term NFT kind of scares video gamers a little bit. That I think we heard about Reddit having a digital collectible sale where the word NFT wasn't used at all. Absolutely. And so we are um, huge supporters of Mythical. I'm sure you've heard me talk about Mythical many, many times. Um, and, uh, you know, we got involved in the company back in 2018 and when they when they got started. And uh, John Lennon, the CEO, ran Call of Duty. Jamie Jackson, the co-founder, DJ Hero, Guitar Hero, Skylanders. These guys are very traditional um, AAA video game uh, developers. And if you look at the, the NFL Rivals game, it's a great example. There's no mention of NFT. There's no mention of a wallet. There's no mention of any of that. And yet all of the assets, uh, so you might be buying a Kansas City Chiefs you know, helmet uh, or... Uh, a player or putting putting together your team or whatever it is, all of these assets are backed by NFTs, but they never use the word NFT because it is a trigger word that means money grab and rug pull. <laughs> and so the the companies that we're really excited about that are entering the space are meeting players where they are and creating games that are fun, first and foremost. And then if they also include uh, these kind of property rights and 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 um, you know this kind of backing that gives real ownership, uh, and then all of a sudden you might wake up one day and say, "Wait a minute, I can sell that." Awesome. That is, I think, uh, a lot more interesting because that accesses billions of people. That makes sense. And it's when you talk about real ownership, and we think about some of the things that people have envisioned, like maybe you could have a gun in one game and bring it to another, and we've kind of there have often been brought up certain impediments, whether legal or otherwise um, technological to doing so. Do you see any new developments that are helping this along or is that just a ways off? Yes, I'm really excited about what AI can bring to uh, interoperability in, in video games and almost taking this Web3 concept uh, to fruition. So we used to back in you know 2018 when I would hear people say you're going to take your gun from Call of Duty and put it into Fortnite, um, and typically those were crypto people <laughs> saying that crypto first people. Um, it just made no sense. I just nobody wanted to do that for one, uh, and two, it's not even possible. There are technologies that are involved in uh, developing video games that uh, are very complicated: physics, lighting, shading, rendering. All of these very complicated processes uh, that, and highly technical processes that go into creating a video game would not really allow that to happen. And people probably wouldn't even want that to happen. Now, fast forward to, to today, um, I'm really excited about the, the idea of AI and 3D asset generation uh, almost unlocking interoperability. and the reason this is this is interesting is imagine now I'm in one game and I do own with a cryptographic hash or an NFT or whatever you want to digital collectible, whatever you want to call it, it is mine and it's it's my asset that I own in this particular game. 
and it look it has a look and feel that fits into the environment of that game. Um, what if AI is helping generate those assets based on the contextual surroundings and environment of that oh, game? Wow. And then, and, and there's a company called Sortium, uh, who we are really excited about right now. And we've done, uh, we've met with a lot of companies in the AI meets gaming and, and entertainment space. And they are um, very interesting because uh, they are saying, they're saying, one, we need to be able to create these assets uh, as the game, as, you know, live. It's called live ops in gaming. So okay. the idea that these assets, and, and I guess just to back up one step, when you're playing a video game, there are these NPCs, non-player characters that are AI generated already that you might interact with when you're in a game. So AI has oh, been in sense. games for decades, right? It's been in games for, for a long time. Almost well, the other reason I'm so excited about video games and have been for 20 years is that most uh, or many new technologies are adopted first in games. Uh, and so they're highly technical environments. And so um, the idea that, uh, you know, you're, you're interacting with this non-player character um, and you're interacting with these sur surroundings. Until generative AI came 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 along, we didn't really have we we these video game companies were hiring a lot of 3D artists. Um, I mean, teams of of artists, um, and it would cost or it does cost. Uh, you know, for AAA games, a hundred million dollars is is pretty average in terms of the cost of production of a of a game, and that can wow. be spent typically over three to five years. So the typical cost is $100 million. Typical time to production is three to five years. And so that like is because- it's like Titanic or something. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Imagine, um, I saw, I got to see it, Sordium showed me um, an asset yesterday, which was a Vespa that one of their artists had created for a video game. And it, uh, they charged, you know, several thousand dollars for the, for the image, the 3D, uh, image of the Vespa, Vespa, and um, it took weeks to develop. Now, with generative AI, in uh, you can generate 3D assets in a matter of seconds, and you need an orchestrator. You need a person who who understands kind of the environment, and the framework, and you also need to under, be respectful of IP rights and copyright law, copyright laws. But you can almost think about um, AI being a tool to empower these creators. And so anyway, the idea would be that you're using a particular AI in one space and it's generating assets that have the same look and feel of, let's say, let's just go back to our Fortnite and Call of Duty uh, example, um, generating assets with the look and feel of Fortnite within IP constraints, within copyright laws, all of that being respected. And then you are taking that asset uh, and regenerating it in another space with this with a um, look and feel of that space so it so, it, oh. it so the ai um could be the bridge that allows for this interoperability but it's never going to be the case that you take something that looks like something in call of duty and put it into fortnite because again i don't think players really are interested in that no that, that you know what and apologies for talking over you a little bit i got a little excited 
Um, I guess what I'm wondering is like for some of when I'm when we think about the inputs, the types of inputs that would need to go in, I would imagine those might be the things you were talking about before, like the physics of the game and the other aspects of of the game to make it have that look and feel. And yeah, I think that's super interesting. I know you've you've mentioned a time before, um, just in general, this idea of I think it was a unicorn in a tutu. Is that am I remembering correctly? What's what's that all about? Yeah, I use unicorn in a tutu as a as an example to say that, you know, prompt we all know GPT three, GPT four, and the idea that you have a little text box and you can prompt it and uh, and magic happens, right? And um, I was at GDC and the head of uh, Google Gaming AI was speaking and she said, these large language models are the linguistic equivalent to an optical illusion. It feels like magic. And that's true. I, I was meeting with company after company after company that, right. that was using these large language models. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Oh my gosh, you can do that. And so the unicorn in a tutu is the idea that you can prompt GPT-3 with unicorn in a tutu and see something magical come out. But what does that have to do with video game production? Not a lot. You can't, you're, the idea that you could actually take that asset and drop it into a professional gaming environment is um, is not really a thing. And uh, I was finding myself walking away from these meetings and forgetting to ask what the business model was. <laughs> because it's so exciting to see the the uh the magic yeah i i can only imagine and, and that's making me think i wonder who else is having that same experience or forgetting to ask about the business models but i'll leave that there <laughs> so yeah i guess you know one of the other things that that you mentioned was this idea that perhaps well actually sitting back i noticed that you said just even just now um, the idea that a lot of technologies start in video games. What do you think as we start seeing AI and, and crypto enter video games, whether knowingly or unknowingly, how do you think that that's going to affect behavior outside of the video games? Or do you think it will? I, I Is this going to lead us to Web3? I think that the only way forward in video games is to tap into behavior that is already happening. So one of our mantras is merge onto the highway of behavior that is already happening. Because in technology, it's very difficult to change behavior, technology, technology adoption. It's, you know, it doesn't happen if you have to change behavior typically. And so what I think is really interesting about crypto is the behavior. We're getting, we're getting clues uh, in, in seeing this group of, you know, crypto, um, you know, this crypto community, these crypto communities of people, they care about self-sovereign wealth creation. They care about decentralized activity. They care about, um, you know, almost like a positive sum game instead of a zero sum game. And I would argue that we've lived in a zero sum game for, for many years. And now we're entering more of this positive sum game where people are collaborating and um, creating. And the ideas of co collaboration, creativity and collaboration, I think are really, really important in terms of a backbeat in our behavior and culture right now. 
And so I don't see crypto behavior slowing down. In fact, I, I see, uh, you know, just in the video game front, I see platforms like Roblox, Epic's UEFN. Uh, these two are going to be, I think, the most powerful platforms, along with potentially, um, you know, a couple of others. There's there's one called Everywhere that's coming. Um, but I think that they're tapping into this idea that people want to create and they want to invite their friends to hang out and they want to build little economies inside online spaces. I, my, my daughter who's 11 has a dress shop inside Roblox. And I'm sure anybody who has an 11 year old will tell you that their kids are spending a lot of time in Roblox. And it's not, this is not traditional gaming behavior like first person shooters, like Call of Duty. This is let's meet after school. We'll talk to each other. We'll, you know, we'll, you know, hang out together. We'll, go down the, down the road in Roblox to do something fun and we'll come back, but it's not, it's, it's, a, it's more of a, a hangout space and a space for creativity and collaboration. The reason I think that's really important is because that also taps into the web three culture, the crypto culture of self-sovereignty and um, this kind of self-sovereign wealth creation, meaning I can be an entrepreneur, even if I'm, I can be a game developer, even if I'm just a kid who's decided I want to create a, a, a game and invite my friends to come play it. So that that kind of behavioral shift is going to continue. And I really think that these big platforms, uh, you know, Roblox has like 60, last quarter they reported 67 million DAUs, daily active users. Wow. It's a massive platform. Roblox, I'm sorry, uh, Epic out of the gate was about a quarter of the size of Roblox within two months. So this kind of behavior is already happening. And I think what is really interesting about crypto is that it it does enable these property rights and th that people are going to care more and more about. So Angie, a lot of what you're saying, people are going to say, that sounds like the metaverse. I thought Angie was a pioneer, but actually, I just want to give you a little plug. Um, I know that on your website, for the longest time, I don't know whether it's still there, but going back years and years and years, didn't it say into the metaverse before anyone had heard of the metaverse? It did. And what I was referring to in 2018 was the concept that Tim Sweeney spoke about when he referenced Snow Crash and this idea that we would be in online spaces, hanging out, going to concerts, um, going to uh, sit down and to watch movies with our friends. So imagine like if Netflix is inside a space where you can all hang out. Imagine if, well, you've heard, I'm sure of the Travis Scott concert. Um, imagine yeah. going into uh, Epic, and this is why I say Epic and, and uh, Roblox are training the world to adopt uh, Web3 and, and crypto. You can walk into a Balenciaga store in Epic and um, buy something. And you also then can walk down uh, to Balenciaga in New York City and pick up a physical uh, item as well. So um, I was talking about kind of this idea that you spend time in these, you know, entertainment spaces, hanging out with your friends and, um, and then and, and little economies will bubble up in these spaces that are fun. Um, so I think there's so much here. And I, as I think about this, just stepping beyond video games for a second, just to, to blockchain in general, do you think 
Do you have a view on what AI will have in blockchain or, or beyond? So broader than video games. So broader than video games, I think that these um, generative AI um, technologies um, will bring, you know, an explosion of content more broadly outside of video games um, because, uh, be, and, and because these, these um, you know, the whole media and entertainment space is full of content creation um, possibilities. Uh, and I also think that there will be many um, generative AI uh, solutions in healthcare, for example, uh, and just AI generally will be used, I think, pretty broadly in healthcare. If you think about the idea that um, I have one doctor who's going to read an MRI, uh, not I, I don't, but I'm just saying we do, you know, we, we generally do have one doctor who reads our MRI. And it's not that far into the future where we say to ourselves, oh, wow, only one? Like, why wouldn't I just depend on AI for that? Because I can tap into the entire world of doctors and I can get a, I can get a crowdsource view in the same way that I wouldn't just listen to one person on where uh, I go to, you know, have dinner. Um, and this is a much more serious, uh, you know, decision in, in terms of our own health. So I think AI is going to be applied pretty broadly across every industry. I, I can, you know, I don't want to go through all of them, but I could go through every industry and give you examples uh, of where AI can make things more um, empowering. So I'm an optimist and I don't, I believe that, um, I believe in this concept that my, my uh, other daughter is a student at um, Bard Berlin in Berlin, mm -hmm. Bard College Berlin. And one of her professors uh, sent something out that said, okay, GPT-3, GPT-4, yes, you can use them. And here's the deal. The bar is much higher. Everything that's already happened in the past, book, re book report equivalent. You know, yes, you can use that to help accelerate your knowledge in terms of what's already happened. But now you're going to have to put on your uh, creativity at and start thinking about new ideas and innovative ideas. And I think it really raises the bar for everyone. Um, so I'm really excited about it because yes, it will get rid of jobs, but hopefully those jobs are mundane jobs. And hopefully that pushes everyone to get into the space of, okay, how can we, how can we, um, you know, push progress forward and how can we up with new ideas and how can we really push the envelope? And I think that, you know, this role, I don't know if you've read about this role, Josh, of uh, AI um, prompter. These, these AI prompting roles are, a lot of people yeah. are hiring AI prompters. Yeah, because the, uh, the art of asking questions is- um, That's so interesting. That's really valuable. I mean, I think that they're, I think that um, some of these roles are, are paying $300,000 a year to have somebody who can actually just ask questions in a really provocative way. Wow. I mean, I think, you know, it's so interesting when you were talking about multiple doctors, virtual doctors reading the AI, it made me think, you know, it's so important that we understand how the AI works and how the decisions are made and what, you know, what the algorithm looks like. Because if we just think back just a couple of, of weeks, you know, to that case or that, that instance in which Evidently, um, 
a lawyer relied upon ChatGPT and ended up with a whole bunch of fake sites unbeknownst to the lawyer. So I think really figuring out how to not only embrace the AI, but police the AI is an important thing. I think- Well, um, just I can a, just- Go ahead. Sorry. I I always go back to this idea that Kathy Wood has uh, planted in my head many, many years ago, which is that AI and blockchain together is uh, kind of the holy grail. They will unlock capabilities in each other and the transparency of blockchain and the um, the idea, you know, you you and I, Josh, both uh, work for the Web3 Foundation. I hope it's okay for me to say that. <laughs> is it okay for me to say that? Um, yes. So, okay. So you and I both, uh, you know, work for the Web3 Foundation and we have, you know, looked deeply into the unlocking positive impact of transparency in a, in, in a Web3 world in which we have, we can, um, you know, read an article and, and ideally click into who wrote that article, who, what are the sources sources and mm -hmm. have transparency into that. We don't have this you know, this veil between us of advertising, which is a conflict of interest between consumers of content and creators of content. And, um, and so all of that is great, but what if we could marry that transparency with the power of AI to get to um, much deeper, richer answers than we can get with something like Google, which has this veil of uh, advertising in front of it? Yeah, yeah, that that makes perfect sense to me. And as we think about sort of pushing the bar higher, I had recently been um, at a an event at the uh, Slovak Embassy in New York, where it was talking about AI, right? And and one of the topics, a lot of people were asking questions about in academia, right? And in computer science, and what about you know. Are people going to be relying on the AI to do their work? And then even made me think, well, with respect to writing code, will people, will the coders, will the developers be the AI? And what I've heard, although, um, and I have to credit actually one of our summer associates, Toby, um, with talking about this, is that sometimes the AI um, that's coding is pretty buggy. And so some of the new assignments are likely to be, okay, Here's some code <laughs> written by AI. Now debug it, right? And sort of raise the bar AIs, that way. Absolutely, there are AIs, uh, AI debuggers. Now, too, it's not going to take that much time for a lot of coding to be done by AI. But you still need you still need somebody who understands coding to orchestrate it all and to yeah. know to debug it, etc. Although there are going to be AIs that know how to debug as well. <laughs> I mean, it's so interesting because I think at the same time, and maybe this can pull it back slightly to regulatory just for a moment, even though we only have a couple of moments left um, for the podcast. You know, so much has gone on lately, including about who can be held liable and who is responsible for certain activities. One of the decisions that we saw recently just in the past um, week or so is this decision in favor of the CFTC with respect to UkiDAO, right? And it was a default judgment, right? And I think we've seen in other states, including um, in California, the Northern California uh, District Court that was dealing with the predecessor 
BZX DAO, right? And whether that could be a general partnership. And then we have seen different states, Wyoming, and I believe California and Utah and others begin thinking about or adopting DAO LLC statutes or some sort of DAO um, as a, an organizational person statute. So I, I do think that just as I remember back to the 2016, 2017, 2018 ICO boom, you know, which we both were here for, what if that had been written not by individual developers, but by AI? And also when we think about First Amendment and other kinds of protections, would they be there for AI too, right? These are all questions I think that need to be answered. But I do think, you know, one of the things when I started off this today's podcast, I was talking about how you're a pioneer in emerging tech, right? And also how that intersects with media and entertainment and video games. And yet you have another huge intersection and that is regulatory. And it's amazing to me that you're so adept at all of those things. I guess, how did you get so passionate about regulatory and how does that even fit in for you? I'd love to hear about that. So I had a 20 year history in securities before I started Signum Growth and um, you know, had worked in capital markets generally. Uh, for many, many years with technology companies. And um, to me, regulatory is is kind of a means to an end. I, I, I have never doubted the fact that, um, you know, if, if you're taking a company public, for example, you, you it doesn't really cross your mind. Are we going to work with the SEC here? I mean, the answer is yes, we're going to work within the U.S. federal securities laws. And so when it came to, um, when it came to, to crypto, I really just went down this path, uh, which became a deep rabbit hole, uh, which was, okay, we want to get to the other side of this and bring this this uh, this concept of Web3 to life and help however we can in that. And so, um, you know, we're going to have to go down the regulatory compliant path because then we can actually get to the innovation. So to me, it's always been kind of a means to an end uh, and the idea that you have to go in and and kind of you know make sure that you're uh, you've you know checked all of the boxes in terms of regulatory compliance is extremely important, and then you can get the company out there. The company has funding. The company can build products. The company customers, and then in crypto, what was so exciting about working with you, Josh, is well, for one, you are the top lawyer globally, in my view, and I've dealt with many of them in crypto uh, in terms of your thought process and the way you uh, help uh, people think through um, all of these really complicated um, processes and and regulatory concepts. But um, in crypto, the real kind of um, the, the real kind of crossroads is this idea of, okay, in the beginning, in the very beginning, when 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 um, there's a person who comes up with an idea, and uh, maybe it might be one or two people or three people or four people or however many the small group of people is that come up with an, an idea, and they may um, they may issue uh, a, an asset to raise money to build that idea. So the concept that in the beginning, when there are only a few people in control, that that is a security. I'm happy that I, that that is 
not really controversial. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but I feel like at least um, with this bill that is uh, the draft bill that is in, in Congress right now, um, it, it starts with- The market with, infrastructure bill? Yes. It starts with the concept that these tokens start as securities. Now, the interesting part comes after that, which is, um, as you and I experienced in working with Polkadot, this idea that um, a network and this group of people can slowly give up control and turn over control to the community. And so from an affiliate perspective, they can give up control. From a governance perspective, they can give up control. Um, they can give up the pseudo key as, uh, as happened uh, with Polkadot, where they couldn't even roll, like these original actors couldn't even roll back the network, even if they tried. Um, so this idea of decentralization being a process really resonates with me. And so I'm excited about all the work you've been doing, Josh, honestly, you and others uh, in terms of, you know, educating Congress on how we can create new laws that, um, that protect, uh, protect consumers who want to interact with this technology and also uh, push innovation forward in the U.S. Thanks, Angie. You're I would too love kind, for you. as always. I, I feel I, like you I, understand I, everything you do, and you <laughs> you're no, but I I really want to ask you what you think about that, Josh, I, because you're an expert and your thoughts are so important here. So I think this is something we can we will have lots of chances to talk about. Um, including June 29th when we're going to be together yes. in Copenhagen, right? Yeah. Um, I I definitely think that this will be a topic and maybe we'll be able to discuss it even before then. Who knows? Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I, mean, I wanted I, to push you to talk, but okay, we'll wait till the next one. <laughs> I mean, well, if, if, if you're going to push me, I, I can just say briefly, I absolutely think that there are, you know, that this is going to be the, this is part of the future. We're building the future now. And the laws are the rails. And we want to make sure that we have rails that make sense, right? And that allow people to comply with the law and know how to have a path forward. Um, and so I think, you know, there are so many different aspects of these technologies that are exploding in all different directions, right? It's not just linear going in one direction. It's like a star. It's like a, a starburst. And so I think having ways that we can, you know, really flesh out, what does it mean to be decentralized, right? How do you know um, if, assuming arguendo, you may have started with a security at one point, how do you know when that point ends? How do you where is the line? And I do think um, that I applaud the work that Congress is doing. Um, certainly, we're seeing uh, the expression of ideas on both sides. And I, again, would love to discuss this in, in greater detail with you. And I think we will, because it sounds like we're developing a plan even as we speak. Wow, I can't believe we're out of time. These podcasts fly by, and especially on a day like today, when we had you, Angie, here to tell us about the latest and greatest in AI. Earlier this week, I was at Stanford's 20th anniversary Digital Economy Best Practices Conference. And I will tell you, there was not a single panel on which generative AI was not mentioned 
or a serious question. And I think we're so lucky to have had you here today. Um, thank you for everything you shared. And coming up, as we mentioned, on June 29th, um, Angie and I will be together on stage in Copenhagen, and it will be live streamed at 10.45 a.m. Details to follow. And there you have it, our hot takes for today. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Josh from Linklaters. Join us next time on Crypto Facto with Josh Clayman.